Welcome to the Grip City Golf Podcast, your source for new information, insightful interviews, and good old-fashioned banter about golf in Portland, Oregon. Today's episode is presented by Brink and Brown Sanitation. Introducing the hosts of Grip City Golf, Andy Dirk Johnson and Eric Peterson. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Welcome in episode 13 of the Grip City Golf Podcast. We're back. A little bit of a different episode last week. Andy Dirk Johnson, Eric Peterson. What's going on, EP? Hey, buddy. Good to see you. Episode 13. We're teenagers, officially. <laughs> we are. It. We're hitting puberty. Our voices are dropping. Well, at least maybe mine will at some point. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're going places. We're probably getting a little bit more confident about just sort of just talking without planning for the podcast, which may or may not be a good thing. But we think we know everything in the world, right? That's what happens when you turn 13. I, I do want to start before we get to anything else. We had a slightly different episode last week. Akbar Chisti over at Seamus. We How went fun over was there. That? Dude, we, so the, the game plan was we were going to do a full episode and then we end up talking to him and you and I left and we just looked at each other like, yeah, I think that's the whole thing. man. That was great. <laughs> he was awesome. Let's do that by itself. So we didn't get a chance to kind of recap it or anything. That dude was he was so fun and a great, great stories, both about the business and his golf life. That might have been one of my most favorite ones we've done so far. Sitting in his office with those big leather couches and all that memorabilia all around us. I wanted to just get a sleeping bag and just spend the night. Did you? <laughs> Can we just stay here, please? Akbar? Yeah. Can we move in? Is there room for us? Maybe, maybe, get, a little, maybe get a little liquor drink going and tell, <laughs> tell some more stories. He's a great storyteller. I love it. He was. We had uh, one of our listeners of the podcast tweeted Seamus and said they now need to add a line of cigar cutters because of his cigar story. There like, you go. Look at that. Boom, boom. We're making business happen, baby. I love that idea. Does Akbar <laughs> know about that? I don't know. We got to reach out. He's got to look at the tweets, man. The people that are reaching out. So thanks to Akbar. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, you, you've been playing any golf lately? You've been getting out? Hit you the know, sticks? man, I... I played in that member guest, uh, I guess it's a month ago now, and I haven't played since then. The problem is, is that I had to redeem quite a few daddy days, you know, to be able to, to make that happen. And sure. so now I'm having to make up for that. And now that we're, we're close to football season and we're going to Atlanta for the duck game out there, harder for me to negotiate. Let me take Saturday <laughs> to go tee it up. How about you? I, I've been playing more golf this summer than I ever have. Good for you. But, but I will say, I think my internal fear, and I love that you talk about this kind of stuff because I'm like shadowing forward in my life. And I'm afraid that I know this day is coming for me. And I know like eventually I'm not going to be a, hey, on a Tuesday afternoon, I got nothing to do. Let's go play 36 holes. Like you're, the, the you're, you're YOLOing. I'm YOLOing. Exactly. Because I don't know how many summers of not having a child I have left in my life. And so I am milking every ounce out of this summer as I possibly can. But I, I think people can relate to your dad situation where you just, it's hard, man. When you got two kids running around, it's not easy to get out and play 18. Well, months. and we've gotten to the point with this pod where people are reaching out saying, Hey guys, you say you want to meet up with listeners and go play. And so like we're getting texts and Twitter messages of, Hey, we're playing. And I'm like, Dude, I can't. I, I wish can't. I could. You know, I'm looking at my phone like, ah, it sucks. And I, I, mean, I appreciate out. people inviting us and they're doing exactly what we've proposed and what we've asked. Right. And then I'm me, at least you've played a little bit more than me, but I just, I can't do it all. And it, it sucks, but it's part of life and I'm happy. So it's all good. It's all good, man. It's all good. Well, uh, I uh, recently got the chance to play Manzanita. Wanted to shout that out. Little nine hole course over there. That's a, a fun ago. track, man. 
Dude, it was fun. It was low key, like just, yeah. you know, not in the greatest condition, but fun. You're hitting a lot of irons. You can smell the ocean air. So it's, you know, Bandon-esque in that regard, but fun little nine hole course. And then I also checked uh, Elk Ridge off my list. Oh, good for you. About a week How and a half that? ago. I haven't Dude. been there in so long. Amazing. The, the views are beautiful. The course is in great shape. Greens are super tricky. A lot of undulations, some side hill cut holes. It was it was fun. That was for a Northwest Golf Guys tournament. So it was fun to cool. get out there and check that off the list. So shout what'd out you, to What do you think of the views? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, you drive over there. The only issue I had was that I, I forgot you got to pay a toll at the Bridge of the Gods. What are we doing here, man? <laughs> Did I'm you bring cash? <laughs> Thankfully, I had cash on me, but Jeez. I'm not like I'm not on the East Coast. Like, come on now, Bridge of the Gods. Get out of here. Do they take Venmo at the, at the <laughs> toll booth? I don't know if they do or not. I don't know. I should have tried that one. Just pull out my phone. Can I pay with this? So <laughs> six bucks in the hole, but it was worth it. Elk Ridge is an amazing course. So what, what is that from, say, downtown Portland to the parking lot? Is it 45 minutes? It was, I think it took me just shy of an hour to get there. Okay. So just, yeah, just shy of about, you know, anywhere from 45 to an hour, depending on your traffic. Worth it. I've had a lot of buddies who I texted that day that haven't had the chance to play it. Totally worth the drive. Great track out there. Cool. And what was um, the green fee? The know? Northwest Golf Guys rate was 90 bucks, I think, for the tournament. And I want to say their greens fees or, or the, their tournament fees are usually about 15 bucks more. So yeah. ballpark at 75, give or yeah. take. Cool Not little bad. clubhouse, too. So, yeah, no complaints. Elk Ridge was awesome. It was fun to get out there and try that one out. So we got some listener questions we'll get to at the end of the episode this week. We wrote them down. We'll have some fun with those as uh, we always appreciate them on Twitter. Let's set up, though, our guest for this week. So you texted me about this uh, a couple of days ago, and I thought, this, these guys are living my dream right now. <laughs> like, this is where I want to get in the next five to ten years. This They're on another goal. level. They're on, They're another, on level. another level. So who, who are we interviewing, and how do we know these guys? Let's so, set it up for the listeners. Yeah, so it's the first interview that we've done with two brothers simultaneously. It's Chris and Jack Duke Minier, who both played on the golf team at Oregon, Quack. And big brother, Chris finished his undergrad in 2006, his MBA at U of O in 2008, and is since a longtime employee out at Nike world headquarters. And his little brother, Jack, his path was similar to Chris's played on the golf team, um, but finished his undergrad in 2010, uh, finished his MBA at U of O in 2012. They're academic overachievers, unlike you and me. Um, and, and now Jack works at a Portland based asset management firm called Baker Ellis. So we wanted to talk with these guys because they recently did something that was pretty remarkable. They both qualified for the U S mid-am via the same qualification site, Oswego Lake country club, both shooting two under par 68. So that's a pretty Ooh, decent score. That's pretty darn good. So, so we heard about this and contacted them asking if they wanted to come on the pod. And we learned that Jack also qualified for the U.S. Amateur and Chris is making the trip with him to Caddy. So how so badass much, is that? Yeah, this, it's an amazing story. And so we're super stoked for this interview. You know, it's two Portland golfers, two ducks, two brothers two USGA events. And we just thought we got to bring these guys on. So here we are talking with the brothers Duke. All right, gentlemen. Well, thanks for coming on the grip city golf pod. And before we get started, we need to clear the air on what's an important issue for me. And I know dirt feels this way too. So <laughs> Chris signs his emails, Duke, 
and Jack signs his emails sent from my iPhone. So I wanted to ask you, Jack, which brother truly owns the rights to the moniker Duke? Is it Chris or do you get in on that too? Uh, I, I think that's Chris. He, he's, I think he's always gone by Duke, at least amongst his friends since college. Uh, I have my own nickname, but it's not Duke. And he's the older brother. So when, if he claims it first, you can't go back in and try to grab it from him after. Is that kind of how it works? No, no way. He, yeah, he, yeah. He had the first claim. So, so if, if Chris owns it, that's fine. But I think Jack, you said you have a nickname already, but I was thinking that if you sign your emails sent from my iPhone, I think it makes perfect sense to give you the nickname, the big sender. What do you, what do you think about that? I kind of like that. Unfortunately, Chris hits it farther than I do. So he, he, <laughs> might, he might get both of them. Oh, Jack's I nickname, love that bit. Jack's nickname, by the way, it's, it's, it makes absolutely no sense, uh, but it's bird, like as in like a bird, B-I-R-D, bird. Okay. I don't know why. As far as I know, Jack doesn't even know why, uh, but that's what all of his buddies have always called how, him. How about we meet in the middle of that? Instead of the big sender or bird, we just call him Big Bird. Big Bird, boom. God, you're just killing him. That's <laughs> his buddies call me Big Bird now because I'm <laughs> the older, I'm the older brother. I love that. It's very unfortunate. All right, well, we got Duke and Bird here. I love this man. We got good nicknames going. I mean, there's a ton we want to talk to you guys about. Let me fire off a couple of rapid questions at you first, though, before we get to all your successes. So you can go in whatever order you want. Your handicap, your home course, and what sticks are you playing right now? What Jack won't you go? I'll go. Uh, my handicap, I think it's right around a plus five right now. I play at Heron Lakes, and uh, I got kind of a hodgepodge of clubs. I got a tailor-made driver. I still am rocking a Nike three-wood, Odyssey putter, Mizuno irons, and Titleist wedges. Okay. Sweet. Still got some Nike equipment. I love it. Uh, and then, yeah, so um, I'm not even sure what my handicap is right now. Probably a plus two, plus three, some, something like that. And, uh, yeah, also play at Heron Lakes. Um, and then, yeah, my bag also pretty mixed bag. I made driver. Uh, I've got a Callaway hybrid. I actually also have a Nike two iron. Uh, I got Mizuno irons uh, and Callaway wedges and a tailor-made putter. Yeah, love a bit it. of a mixed bag for sure. Look at that. I love the mix. The mixed bags are kind of fun. You got the Nike equipment in there still too. So you're holding on to that. Now, are you great blue or greenback guys? We, we both play the men's club out there. So it switches every week. So we, we get some of each. You get a little bit of both, a little taste of both. Okay. I've heard that men's club is pretty stout. Is that accurate? Yeah. It's, it's really, really strong. It, it, you know, it's a bunch of, uh, you know, people kind of, kind of our age, a lot of them played in college and, you know, for a lot of us doesn't necessarily make sense to join a country club. And so we've all kind of joined out there. So there's a lot of really, really good players out there. I, th I think that the back nine at great blue is the best public nine holes in the Portland area. Would you guys agree with that? Or at least one of the best? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, it, it's, it's definitely challenging. Um, I, you know, what I, what I like about it is if you go out and you play well, like you can shoot a good number. Um, I've shot some very big, you know, low, low back nines out there, but also uh, there's a lot of trouble out there as well. Um, so it starts going a little sideways. It's uh, the round gets away from you pretty quick. Especially <laughs> if the wind starts blowing a little bit. Yeah. Those last four holes will eat you alive out there. You know, you can't, you can't get away with the loose shots. You know, I, I think that nine's great. I think the front nine at ghost is really, really good as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just in terms, in terms of, you know, really having to step up and hit shots, you know, I, I, I can't think of a really a better nine really even 
on the private courses either. Yeah, what, Met- what line, what line yeah. do you guys take on 18 at Great Blue? And what club are you hitting off that tee? I've played there a thousand times and I still don't know what I'm supposed to do there. Do I blow it way left with driver? Do yeah. I hit four iron up the left side? <laughs> what am I supposed to do there? It, it can depend. You know, a lot of times during the year, if, if the long rough is cut down, yeah, I'll just hit driver like over towards 10. But if, if the rough, you know, they have the long rough up, it's usually maybe a four iron. Uh, and you got to, yeah, just keep a little left and then you got six or seven iron in. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough hole to finish with. Let's get, let's get to the 18 hole US mid amp qualifier that you guys played in out at OLCC. Each of you had different kind of rounds throughout the course of the day. We'll start with you, Chris. You played the first four holes in two under, and then holes five through seven, you went double bogey, bogey, bogey. What were you thinking on the eighth tee box? <laughs> I'm not sure I can say it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm allowed to. Uh, it wasn't good. I'm going to put it that way. Um, yeah, it's funny. I've, I've played a fair amount of rounds um, out of Oswego. Um, and a lot of my rounds follow that same trend. Um, where I'll, I'll get off to a pretty good start. And then uh, five, six, seven, and usually eight, I'm honestly, are kind of my nemesis out there. I kind of struggle on those holes uh, for whatever reason, seemingly every time. Um, this time around, I actually hit a perfect drive on five. So I'm like, all right, like, cool, we're, we're in good shape. It's normally a par five. We're just playing it as a par four. Missed the green just slightly left. Um, easy, easy pitch shot. I'm like, all right, this is great. I'm, you know, I'll be fine. Uh, I actually shanked the pitch shot. In oh, the no. And then shanked my bunker shot to 50 feet, <laughs> missed the putt to about 10 feet by, made it coming back for double, uh, bogey the next two holes. I was not in a great headspace on the eighth wow. team, uh, but hit a, hit a pretty good iron shot and then made about a 20-footer for birdie, uh, which kind of snapped me back into it. Um, and then I played essentially very, very, very well um, after that. I'm not sure I really missed a shot uh, for the rest of the round after that. And then, Jack, your round was basically the opposite right you're standing on the 15th tee and you're six under par with no bogeys i'm just gonna let you tell us what happened after that uh it was just um just a stretch of some bad shots some bad decisions maybe a bad break or two and and you know the course is is hard enough and the greens are fast enough that things start going wrong you can just make bogeys um you know i i was I was lucky that I, I had a really hot stretch in the middle of the round. So I was, you know, very lucky that I could do that and still make it. But, uh, you know, I played early in the day uh, and I finished and, and I would have much rather not had to worry too much about everybody else coming in behind me and beating me. But, you know, I two under tens tends to make it in a mid-am qualifier. So I, I still felt like I was going to make it, but uh, it would have been a lot nicer to just shoot 64, I guess. So two totally different paths to the same score of 68, right? Which is, that's just like golf in a nutshell. There's no, there's no pictures on the scorecard as they say. Right. So you're both into the U S mid-am, which is September 10 through 15 or whatever it is. Is this the first time that, that you've both qualified for the same USGA event? Not quite. It, the, the first time we both qualified for the same individual event. Um, so I know I, I've played one other mid-am um, and Jack, I think what you've played one other mid-am and you've played what about four or five, six, something like that ams, but we've never sort of been in them together. Uh, but about, I don't know, about like six years ago, uh, the USJ started doing like what they call the USJ four ball. So 
two-man team. Um, and so it's, you know, a best ball event. And so we qualified for that together. Uh, Which year was that? It was like maybe 2018. It was at Jupiter Hills uh, oh, Country cool. Club. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say 2018, give or take. Uh, so, Jack, when, when you guys are at Aaron Hills, um, are you going to stay together? Are you going to practice together? Are you going to do your own thing? Uh, we're definitely staying together. You know, whether we practice together kind of depends on where, where they put our tee times. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be together all week. Yeah, so ideally, we'll see. Like, we actually – the other two players that qualified from Oregon are also a couple of good buddies of ours. Nice. Uh, Landon, he, he and I played at Oregon together. I don't know, Jack, was he still on the team when you were there? I can't remember. Um, uh, I know you know Landon. No, okay. But anyway, know Landon very well. Um, and then Ray Richards, uh, we're, we're good buddies with him as well. So kind of all four of us would love to play practice rounds together. But kind of as Jack noted, like you play two courses and whatever order you play those in the first two rounds, that's the order you play in the practice round. Right. And so right. we'll, we'll, we'll see. We just don't know yet. Yeah. So Chris, I want to, I want to just do a hypothetical here. And so a little bit of a dream, but just, <laughs> just ride with me on this. So let's say you and Jack both make it to match play and you end up playing against each other in match play. I'm curious against your brother, are the four footers good early? And then the two footers are definitely putted out later in the round. What's the, what's the strategy there? If you guys were to play each other, I don't think anyone's getting any putts at that point. Like, Nothing at all. Probably not. I mean, six Damn. inches, I guess, but like certainly outside of a foot, there's no guineas. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, we did play each other. I'm not sure, Jack, if you even remember this, but we did play each other yeah, one time at a match play event. It was like the it was like the Southern Oregon Invitational or Southern Oregon Championship, something like that. Um, good, good event. It was at Rogue Valley. Uh, I think I remember right, Jack had like just started playing again because he had tore his ACL his senior year, had missed a bunch and was sort of getting ready to come back into golf. Um, and we did end up playing in, I don't know, like the second or third round. Um, and and I, I beat him. Um, so so one and oh in match play in tournaments. Uh, and I'll just I'll just uh, keep going with that record. That's awesome. <laughs> Love that. So, Jack, let, let's get to your USAM qualifier at uh, Arrowhead Country Club, where you go 67, 66 to finish two shots clear of second place. Uh, and, you know, Six incredible. shots clear. Six shots clear. Sorry. W was there something about that day that just kind of clicked? Like what went into that? Yeah, you know, golf, it's it's so rare, I think, to to play even an 18-hole round and just really play really well the entire time, um, and much less a 36-hole day, you know, to, I, I really, it's almost hard to explain. I, I just really played great pretty much the entire day. I just hardly missed a shot, and uh, putts were going in. I caught some good breaks. It was, it's just kind of, kind of your day, so uh it's, it's just really rare for that to happen. And it was, it was a stress-free final nine. Uh, so that, <laughs> That's that, nice that was, to have. Yeah, better better than the four bogeys in a row that I finished within the mid-am qualifier. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, though. So when you have a round like that, is there something that snaps you in early on, like making a 10-footer to save par or rolling in the first birdie look of the day or just you know finishing the first three or four holes, playing clean golf and figuring out you got it? Is there something that early on in a round kind of clicks you into it? Um. Yeah, for me, I, you know, I, I think Chris would probably agree with this. You know, I, I, I'm a good ball striker. I, I, I just, I hit it very well. I, I rarely have a day where I hit it poorly. So it, it's really, for me, it's going to come down to the putting. And, and if I, if I putt well, um, like I did, I'm going to be really hard to beat. Um, 
you know, if I put how I normally do, it's sort of mediocre and, you know, I, like, I'll, I'll be, com- I'll be competitive, but I'm not just going to run away with it. So sure. you know, if, if I really start putting well, especially if I make a couple, you know, 10 plus footers, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident that it's going to be a good day. Yeah. So Jack, you're it's usually about those, like, yeah, like six to 12 feet. It's mostly about those. Cause you don't miss very many of them shorter than that. You're just very rarely going to make much longer than that. It's just all that kind of mid range. You, you get a couple of them to roll in, you get some confidence going like that. That's when you can like really start to roll. Yeah. That sounds like a, a good caddy right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Jack, I mean, we're, this is next week. So are you headed out of town here shortly? Yeah, my flight's tomorrow morning. Um, oh, wow. It's, it's kind of the same schedule as a mid-am, so you got, you'll got have two different courses. So my practice rounds will be Saturday and Sunday. And then so it, the, when did Chris's duties step in? Is he your travel caddy? Like, is he going to carry your luggage to the airport, or does his job not start till you're actually <laughs> on site? He, he's flying in late. He's not going to join me until I'm at least started my first practice round. Okay. Yeah, yeah the, uh, there's the, the John Mulaney show tomorrow night at uh, Moda. I had booked that with some buddies. I don't know, like six months ago. So I was like, there's no way I'm, I'm going to skip that. So I'm going to that. <laughs> I'll fly out the next day. I'll probably catch him on like the back nine of his first practice round. I love that. Your priorities, right? I mean, come on, we got to have things in order here. Uh, and Chris, I'm assuming this isn't the first time you caddied for him. So have you learned anything about the, the experiences caddying in the past that'll help you this time? Yeah. I mean, so I, I think this is your, is this your fifth or sixth? Jack, I can't remember. Fifth. Fifth. So I, I think I've caddied for you in three of the other ones and I'll caddy for you in this one. So all of them, but one. Um, and, and yeah, like generally the way I sort of always approach it is I will basically tell him what I would do. Right. So like, this is what I would hit. This is the shot I would try. Um, and then I kind of let him kind of go from there. Right. So some of the times he's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. That's what I want. Or other times he'll, he'll just feel more comfortable hitting a different shot. Um, and I think it'd be one thing like if I caddied for him all of the time, right? We sort of had that sort of built in sort of caddy player uh, like rapport. Um, but, but, you know, like I caddy for him, I don't know, like once every few years. So it's pretty rare. So for the most part, I'm just saying what I would do and then letting him kind of make all the calls. And then as a caddy, no matter what, whatever the player decides, like that's the right call. So if they always ask you like, yeah, you like it? And the answer is yes, even if you don't. <laughs> So, so I know that Bones and Phil Mickelson used to have an agreement that Bones got one call yeah. every year that he could say, no, Phil, you need to do this instead of that. Jack, are you going to give Chris that honor of like, does he get one call that is exclusively his or are you calling every shot? Uh, I, I, I don't think I can give him that. I don't know if I trust him <laughs> enough. I, I, I do remember... It was, I think it was the mid-am in Colorado. I think it was at Colorado Country Club. Um, it ended up not mattering because you made the cut just fine. But I know coming down the stretch, it was kind of close. And you were going for a par five and two. I don't remember the exact club you had, but whatever it was, I talked you into one less club. Um, and I remember you hit it like absolutely all over the flag. And in my head, I was like, oh, I made the right call. I'm so smart. And then it dropped just short and buried in the bunker. Oh, no. <laughs> that was like the last time. Like, I remember very clearly, like, all right, I'm never talking him out of a shot again. Well, and especially a place like that where you're playing at elevation and he's probably jacked up anyways. And so it's, it's hard sometimes to, to select clubs at elevation. Yeah, for sure. I remember I talked to Michael Collins one time and I asked him about his experience caddying on tour and he 
I, you know, how do you get guys motivated, your players? And he said, everybody's different. You know, some guys need to be told they suck after a couple of bogeys to try and get under their skin. Some guys, you just shut up. You don't say anything. Some guys, you got to kind of encourage and motivate. Are you, are you either of those? I mean, do you guys have that dynamic? Like if things go bad for three holes, do you know what to say or in that kind of situation? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously Chris knows me better than probably, you know, almost anybody in the world. So, uh, you know, I think that it kind of, we just sort of naturally know how to react to each other. You know, you know, for me, if, if things aren't going great, I think the more you can just distract me, talk about something that's not golf, probably the better it's going to go. Yeah. Get your mind off things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's like you said, like there are a lot of different people kind of react different ways. And yeah, like I'm very much the same way too. Like I don't, sometimes I will show some emotion. Oftentimes I don't, I, you know, even if I'm playing poorly, um, but like in my head, I'm just furious. Um, and so if someone were to, you know, tell me like, you know, figure it out. Or like, what are you doing? Or you suck. Like that, it's, that's just going to make things worse. Um, and I know Jack's somewhat similar as well. So yeah, it's very much just like, you know, talk about anything else for five minutes, you know, as we're walking to the next ball, get my mind off of that. Um, and I think it's pretty much the same for Jack as well. You guys talk about how you don't have as, you don't have like a professional caddy player relationship, but you guys are brothers. So you, you go back quite a few years. So I'd imagine that that kind of gives you a leg up ahead of even some of the guys who have maybe had that player caddy relationship for a long time. Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, it, it's, uh, I guess the way I would put it is like, it's less um, sort of like deliberate and intentional. Um, it's more just purely like instinct, right? Because he said like, you know, we're, we're, we're both well into our thirties now. So like we've known each other for 30 some odd years. So like, I almost don't have to think about it. Whereas like in a kind of a professional caddy player type of relationship, right. It's probably a little bit more sort of strategic and deliberate. Um, whereas again, like we know each other so well, I don't really even have to think about it. Um, we just kind of, yeah, do it that way. Cause we, you know, again, we know each other forever. Just hand him, just hand him the two iron Chris and just say, <laughs> hit this and let Jesus take the wheel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think for both of us, it might be that way, but it's going to be a driver. <laughs> driver. Okay. Good. So bef before we let you guys go, we wanted oh, to finish man. with a segment that we call driver off the deck, which is always a great idea, except if you're playing in the USAM or Mid-Am. But don't basically, do it. don't do it. Just <laughs> just some like quick hitting questions that we want to throw at you both. That sound good? Sounds good. So, so Chris, we'll start with you. How many USGA events have you played in and what was your best finish? Uh, this will be my third. Uh, I think my best finish would actually be probably when Jack and I played in that four ball. Um, I, I, I know we didn't quite make match play. I think we missed it by a shot. Got it. Um, so I think that was the closest, uh, closest for me. Got it. And then Jack, what about you? Uh, let's see here. This will be number seven and eight coming up. And the best I ever did in the U.S. Mid-Am in 2019, I made match play and won one match and lost in the round of okay. 32. Yeah, so okay. round of 32. That's pretty and, good. And it starts with what, 262 players or something like that? It's a huge field, right? Yeah, so yeah, it's two somewhere between 250 and 300. Yeah, it, oh, it's wow. uh, yeah. it's such a hard cut to make. I don't think people yeah. quite realize, you know, they're cutting to the top 64. Yeah. Uh, and the USAM is 312 people, you know, it's it's basically yeah, yeah, cutting yeah. to the top 20%, so you got to really play great those first yeah. two days. It's a, yeah, just exhausting to play that much golf too. All right, Chris, uh, two-parter for you, your favorite course in the Portland area. And then what's your favorite course you've ever played anywhere? Uh, favorite course in the 
Portland area. Um, it's actually in Vancouver, uh, but Royal Oaks. Um, that I just absolutely love that place. Uh, the tree, the trees been, are just too big. There's too, yeah. there's too many. <laughs> it is hard. I'll give you that. Um, but yeah, I had a couple of buddies in junior golf or members there. So I sort of got to play there a lot when I was a little kid. Um, and then just, you know, continue to play in it. They have a Royal Oaks Invitational in spring every year. I go play it. I just, it's flawless. Course is insane. Um, so yeah, absolutely love it. Then yeah, best course, kind of favorite course I've ever played. Um, you know, I'm actually going to go maybe not that adventurous, I suppose, but I'll actually go Eugene Country Club, oh. um, which is where, where we grew up playing. Um, as a kid, I knew it was amazing. Um, I didn't quite recognize just how good it was until i had to start like paying to play rounds of golf at places that were nowhere near as good um and so yeah like it's kind of like if i had one round to play for the rest of my life like i'd play it there easy what about you jack yeah my favorite course in portland i think has got to be witch hollow and then favorite course i've ever played that's a tough question um i think the most enjoyable course i've ever played was probably shadow creek uh down down in vegas yeah so fun i, I got to play there for my bachelor party the, ex yeah. the whole experience of that is amazing taking the limo and everything yeah yeah it's a it's a close match there between there and i think bandon trails hey i'm with yeah, you dude uh, best course at bandon and honestly oh, yeah. one of my favorite courses ever is also bandon trails yeah, yeah. I, think, I think it's about the track down there it doesn't it's not quite the experience because it's not you know on the cliffs overlooking the ocean mm -hmm. you don't quite get that like you know four and 13 at Pacific feel. Uh, but just far as like straight up golf course wise, yeah, I think big trail is the best course down there as well. Totally, totally agree. All right, Chris, back to you. What is the best round you've ever played? Might just be the straight up lowest score, but maybe not. What's the best round you've ever played? Um, the best round I ever played. Uh, I still remember it very clearly. Uh, I had played my first two years of high school at South Eugene. Uh, and then I transferred uh, to Sheldon for my next two. Um, and I'm pretty sure I had just won the district championship as a sophomore and my team had won the, the state championship. Uh, but the coach uh, sort of made a point that he needed me to qualify uh, for the team at Sheldon, um, even though they were at the time, they weren't very good yet. Um, and uh, so I said, all right, fine, uh, I, I will do that. And it was at Eugene Country Club. Uh, and I shot 28 uh, on the front nine, uh, which wow. my lowest nine I've ever played. Just wow. absolutely lit it up. Um, and then he didn't even make me play the black, play the back nine. He's like, all right, all right you made your point. You're on the team. That That's was awesome. <laughs> what about you, Jack? Um, I, I think just everything, all considered, including the circumstances, uh, in my junior year at Oregon, uh, in the national championships. The, the final round of stroke play, I shot 66 at the honors course uh, in, in Chattanooga, which was, that was a course record. Uh, it broke um, Tiger Woods' course record there from about, I don't know, when he, whenever he was in college, you know, 20 years prior. Um, and that sort of got us into the match play. So I think golf, you know, probably not the greatest round of golf I've ever played, but just, you know, considering the circumstances, I think that would probably be the one. That is an amazing, like how, how many people can say they broke a course record owned by Tiger Woods? That's a, that's a humble yeah. brag right there. You can't top that. Well, yeah. Un unfortunately, someone else that same day also shot 66. In the field. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he's got to share it with him. That's great. Yeah. I think the best run I've ever seen you play, right? You shot 60 out of Eugene um, and then you had like a 10 footer for 59, right? On 18, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Oh. 
That's a pretty exclusive club. All right, uh, Chris, what's your dream foursome? You can pick anybody you want. What's your dream foursome? Oh, man, dream foursome. God, that's a hard one. Um, I got, I mean, I would, well, one is easy. Tiger Woods, for sure. No question. Um, boy, I, like, I think I would, the other two probably wouldn't be golfers. Um, I think they'd probably be, you know, sort of from other, other parts of the world. Like, um, I was like, I'd play, I would love to play golf with Barack Obama. I think that'd be wild. Um, like just the stories, everything could just be incredible. Especially um, him and Tiger. I bet they would, they would have fun together. Yep. Exactly. Um, and then, yeah, I guess, God, if I had to go one more, um, Jack's sitting here like, bro, I'm ready. Give me a call. <laughs> I'm, I'm right yeah. here, man. I'm right here. That, I've played with him a thousand rounds of golf. At least. <laughs> uh, you know what? I actually, I, if we, if we can uh, bring people back, I'd actually go Honor Palmer actually. Okay. I think that would be an epic foursome. That's a pretty damn good foursome. Jack, what about you? Yeah, I think it would have to be Tiger uh nicholas is my namesake so i think i gotta throw him in there uh and probably hogan old school i love it yeah all right chris next question who would you rather have putting a 10 footer to win a tournament you or your brother that's easy my brother (laughs) and you'd be the caddy though right you'd be yeah yeah, i'd give him the read give him the read yeah yeah (laughs) is that the right answer jack do you agree with that one (laughs) Yeah, I think that's the right answer. Because <laughs> I was, was going to ask you the same question, Jack, but I think we already know the answer. <laughs> yeah, once, you, once you're picked, man, that's the choice. You got to make that 10-footer. Uh, last one for you, Chris. I will say, though, oh, yeah, if go it ahead. was who had to hit the drive on the 18th hole, that would be me. <laughs> okay. Now, Jack, is that the right answer on that one? If it's a driver, yeah. Okay, if it's a driver. All right. We trust Duke with the driver. I love it. Uh, Chris, last one for a U.S. amateur four-ball qualifier. Uh, did you guys sign up for that? Uh, well, we did sign up for the qualifier. We're not playing um, on the 12th, though. Uh, we're actually qualifying. Um, I forget the name of the course. Maybe it's like McCormick Woods or something like that. It's up in Washington. I think it's on the 26th, I believe, something like that. Um, but, yeah, we, so we signed up for that. Okay. So, and, and you guys are partners, obviously. Yep. Sweet. Yep. Well, there well, you best go. Best of luck on that. That's going to be an, that's an amazing summer of golf right there. Well, thank you guys for joining the Grip City Golf Podcast. This was a lot of fun. Best of luck to you next week. Best of luck in September. We're going to be rooting you on. Um, we hope that uh, Duke and, and the big sender bring home a championship. All right. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. All right. Thanks all right. a lot, Thanks, guys. guys. Thanks for having us. All right. Appreciate it. Well, Duke and the big sender, man. What? How cool is that, that you got guys qualifying? Like, just locally, not only are they Ducks, and obviously they play golf and collegiately and all that, but just working in the area, qualifying for tournaments like this, going to play Aaron Hills. Like, I mean, it's just it's such a cool story for a couple of guys from Portland. Big Bird. I love it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Big like, Bird. Like, they, I forget if they said this before we came on, but they – Anytime they play in a qualifier together, they always have in the back of their mind, like, oh, it'd be fun if we both made it, right? You know, like fist pound before they tee off. But it doesn't happen very often. It's pretty hard for that to come together because there's not many spots available. And so the fact that it came together for them and they both played such different rounds that day out at OLCC, but it's just like classic golf, right? Like it doesn't matter how you got to the number, you get to the number and you qualify and they both happen to do it out there. And now they're playing in that together, but then all the, Jack also qualified for the USAM and Chris is going to caddy for him. It's like, what a fun 
just a cool thing for two brothers to rally around. Isn't golf awesome? It's the best, dude. It's the especially when you get stories like this. And you and I both have brothers, so you can kind of put yourself in their shoes of what you know, playing in that, and either having your brother brother caddy or you caddying for your brother or playing in the same tournament. It just that there's a connection there, I think, for for me as well. And it's funny too because on this pod, I had actually made note of it, and I forgot to bring it up earlier that we just watched the U.S. Junior Amateur down at Bandon again. And it's so cool that they have that and watching, you know, having it be at a course that you played to be able to turn it on and see like, oh yeah, I know. Yeah. 16 at Bandon. I remember that hole. I went over here. Or I shanked this tee shot or I three putted that green. Like having the familiarity is really cool. But one thing I don't think people appreciate enough about it. And I'm glad they kind of touched on it there at the end. The amount of golf you have to play in one of these, I don't know how you would survive. Like I just walking. Cause it's what 30, six stroke play and another crazy number. And then you get into match play. Like it just goes on forever, man. It's yeah. bananas. Also the practice rounds leading up to it and you got to travel to get there. So it's a big commitment just to get there and then to play the practice rounds, play 36 holes of stroke play, like you said. And like Jack was saying, like, it's hard to make the cut into match play. And those fields are so big. Yeah. You know, we see PGA tour events where there's a cut that basically cuts half the field. Whereas with this one, they're cutting up the top 20%. And so not only do you, is it really hard to get there, but it's really hard to then continue further. It's just like with each door you open, it becomes harder to open the next one. And so the fact that these guys are both getting to play in it at all, period, is pretty awesome. The fact that, that they get to play in it together and also get to play in the USAM as sort of that player-caddy relationship. Yeah. It's it's pretty fun. You and I talk about our brothers and like fun playing with them and stuff. And it's a, a, about scramble tournaments, you know, and like <laughs> drinking like a few beers, making and, a, uh, making a, a scramble birdie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are playing on a little different wavelength, a little bit of a different level. Yeah. Yeah. I said, Hey, what's your handicap? A plus five. Okay. Yeah. Not, yeah. you know, Hey, I'm an eight. It's all right. We're only a little, just a bit of a gap there. Okay. Not much, just a bit of a gap. You're down to an so eight cool. now. I feel I'm like every eight, time man. we do a new pod, you're down another, another digit. When you play golf four times a week, buddy, you got a chance to lower that <laughs> handicap real quick, man. Really, I quick. love it. So we're grinding out here this summer. I'm not quite to, you know, to amateur status yet, but we're working. That's the dream. That's Just the goal. Keep we'll it get going, there, man. A couple of years down the road. Well, this was that was so fun to talk to those guys. Let's close up this one EP with some listener questions, okay? All right, because we it. did do these last week and we had them sent in, and uh, you can always if you. As a listener, if you hear some of these and you want to respond on Twitter, just holler at us. We're curious what you think about the, some of these as well. We'll start uh, toughest course in the area to walk. To me, it's Oregon Golf Club, period. Next yeah. question. I, I just don't know, like Wildwood. I've, I've, I've actually never played there, but I've heard that can be pretty hilly. Wildwood can be a tough walk. Yeah, a lot of it's early on. You, it's like you're huffing on hole five and then it kind of slows down, but the yeah. first few holes are brutal. Yeah, that would be my pick is is Oregon golf club. What about you? The, yeah. Oregon golf clubs up there. Shahalem Glenn Shehalem was the only Glenn. other one that yeah. came to mind. That one is just up and down and up and down the entire yeah. time. Yeah. And to be honest with you, Elk Ridge was a bit of a tough walk. That's that one. Yeah. It's a little hilly. Some, uh, I got to the top. We started on the 10th hole and I got to the 10th green. It's kind of an uphill par five. And I was like, <gasps> maybe I should have got a car. <laughs> it's one of those like, I, make wrong decision. <laughs> I also think that any course is probably hard to walk. If you're used to just riding in a cart all the time and all of a sudden you got to walk. And Very especially true. if you put some beers in your bag and you're like, man, I'm carrying a <laughs> 50 pound backpack around and I'm walking and I usually ride. <laughs> that'll, probably, <laughs> that'll probably make any course seem like it's hilly. 
That's one of the negatives of a country club membership, man. You gotta get you get spoiled. I become a cart golfer, and then you go out and walk, and you're like, I'm just I'm not in walking shape, man. I'm not used to this. Well, and like cart with carts, there's so many cool little bells and whistles you can add. You know, you get your Bluetooth speaker, and you got your you got your rangefinder with the magnet that sticks to the. <laughs> you got your cooler in the back. It's like it's the it's like a primo setup, right, for golf. And so, why would you want to deviate from that when you've got this sweet cart setup? You probably have a new cart bag too. And it's like, why would I want to carry all this stuff? <laughs> right. I got a bigger bag. I don't want to put it on my click gear. Yeah. Let me ask you this though. I'm curious now that we're on this tangent, do you feel you play better or worse riding or walking? Is there a difference in your game? Yeah. I, I have a strong opinion about this. I feel I play better when I walk all the I time. I agree hundred percent. All the time. And I feel like also I enjoy it more. It's more social. I feel like I'm paying attention to my surroundings more when I'm walking. I, I just feel like it ends up being more fun. I just feel like carts cause you to spread out. You just go from point A to point B, start, stop, yardage, hit, next shot. Whereas with walking, you're taking a little bit less of a direct route. You're just kind of like smelling the flowers, so to speak, a little bit more when you walk. So I feel like I play a little bit better when I walk. I feel like I have more fun when I walk. I agree 100% with that. I really do. I think part of it for me is like the rhythm you get into as well, where even if you're not having a conversation, you're kind of able to kind of be in your own head and get to your next shot and think about what you want to do. But when you're in a cart, you're usually mid-conversation. Let's drive to your ball. You're talking about something. Okay, let's go to my ball. Like there's just a better rhythm and a flow that comes with walking. And I I've, totally agree. I, I thought about that because I think the two best rounds I played this summer, I've walked both those rounds and I've probably ridden 93% of my rounds this yeah. summer. And I was like, is there a correlation there, man? I got to start walking more. I don't think it's a coincidence. <laughs> I love it. All right. We solved that one. Okay. What ball are you playing right now? I play whatever ball's free. <laughs> You're not a golf ball snob. I mean, Pro V1 is Pro V1 X is my, is my ball. Like if, if, if I'm at a member guest little thing, you go pick out some items, like I'll get that one, but man, they're just expensive. And like yeah. I was out at Costco a couple summers ago and the golf balls were there and I, I needed some and I'm like, I looked at them and I was like, oh no, I'll just buy Pro V1. Or I could just buy these because they're like <laughs> six bucks a, a sleeve versus whatever Pro V1s are, 14 or something. It's like less than half the cost. And so I was like, yeah, I'll just, I'll play with these. And back to our question of do you play better walking or in a cart? I don't know that I have statistics that prove that I have lower scores when playing a Pro V1. I mean, I just don't feel like I do. And maybe, maybe I do, and I just don't keep track, but sure. I don't feel like I play worse when I play a lesser ball. I mean, if it's got a scratch in the side or something, obviously that's going right. to be, that's going to be a piece of crap. But when it comes to like ball flights and spin rates, and there's people who get into that stuff. I think personally for me, it doesn't make a difference. And quite honestly, unless you're a plus five handicap, like Jack or Chris, I don't think that you're good enough for it to make a big difference. And therefore I don't understand why you're buying the super expensive golf ball. So the funny that, thing is too, I, I think a lot of people that will buy those expensive golf balls, think about not wanting to lose them as well. And that can be <laughs> in your head when you're hitting the shot, yeah. like that's an $8 pro V one, you shank one out of bounds. But if you're playing some dumpster ball that you picked up <laughs> in the fourth rough that somebody else left three weeks ago, you're that's never a yeah. thought in your head, you totally know, never, agree. never comes into your mind. I do have a funny, I I'm a titleist guy too. I'm not a, a ball snob though. I'll play whatever. I usually play pro V ones, but it's not a, a, a must for me while I'm golfing, but I do get to the point every year at Christmas where I get asked, what do you want for Christmas? And I don't need anything. 
And they, every year the answer is the same. I don't need anything. And so I started asking for personalized golf balls. Nice. I was like, I just want to put something on there for fun. Let's get these. Yeah. And so I got number 10 Titleist Pro V1s. And on the side of it, they say dirt. And then I realized that this is probably a bad idea if I ever hit a car, if I hit one out of bounds in a backyard. And I was playing Stone Creek one time last year. And I lost a ball on 13, the, the downhill, uphill, bitch of a par four. Yeah. Get over to the left. Can't find my ball. Two days later, a listener of the radio show tweets me. Oh, wow. And he says, hey, Dirt, did you lose your ball on Stone Creek this weekend or whatever? I'm like, yeah, I did. I was like, what hole did you find it on? He said 13. I was like, crap, I thought that ball was out. I wanted to go recount my score. Shouldn't have been a stroke. That ball was in play. But So you hit it. Just you didn't hit it in someone's backyard. You just hit it in some long grass and, and some guy that lives near the course found it. Right. Yeah, did, it'd, yeah. be, it'd be different if calls into the show or tweets or whatever he did and, and says, dirt, your ball struck my foot. <laughs> you got to play it off Frank Stein's foot, man. Or, I go or, back out there. <laughs> or you, you broke a window or something like that. Thankfully, it did not do that. But it was uh, yeah, it was funny just to see the tweet and to realize that the ball was in play. That was the toughest part for me. I was glad he found it. I said, Hey, you know, do it, do it good service, you know, put that ball in use and go get a birdie with it. But I wanted that penalty stroke back. Damn it. Um, what's your, what's the favorite club in your bag right now? What's your go-to? I've, I've been chipping with my gap wedge. So I have a, oh. um, a set of Callaway um, apex blades that I got roped into buying, even though I'm not good enough. And man, the short irons of those, of that set, I still love. And so I put the gap wedge in my bag. And I've just started hitting little chip shots, kind of like 40, 30 yards. Like if you're short of the green where you've got some short grass to work with. And I've just had fun hitting that shot. And it, it takes me back to being abandoned when you're hitting that shot a lot, that little where you just got to bump it and get it running. You got to practice it though. I mean, if like a lot of reason why people don't hit that shot, even though they probably should is because they, they just don't practice it. And so they're not yeah. confident with it. Um, I've been kind of taking the mindset of, I know that I'm not great at this shot right now, but I need to practice it. So let's go ahead and hit it. And lo and behold, you start getting that feel and you can hit some fun little shots with, for me, it's just that gap wedge, but others, maybe it's a nine iron or a pitching wedge or something, but that, that right now is the club where if I have that shot, I'm actually looking forward to it. I love that. Is it always, have you had like a changing club in your bag over the years? That's your favorite and kind of your go-to. Is it a yeah. rotating? Yeah. Oh, it, it rotates all the time, man. It's yeah. like, it's on, it's on a axis. It's spinning really hard. <laughs> the conveyor belt. Let's go seven iron. I like the seven iron right now. This is great. I know sometimes, I'm having... sometimes it's within one round, you know, it yeah. changes of like, Oh, I love this club. I hate this club. And sometimes even hate to the point where I'm, I know I should hit it, but I don't even want to hit it. So I don't. Isn't it funny how golf can be that way? I'm getting the wife into golf slowly through the uh, the country club membership. And she's yeah. starting to pick it up. And it's fun. It's great to get out once or twice a week and play. And she's got three or four clubs in the bag that she just will not hit because she hates them. And I'm like, you know, it's not it's not the club's fault. The yeah. club didn't. It's not that. It's You know, it's you. You got to work on it. You got to practice it. But you're not going to get any better if you don't hit it. And she refuses. I'm not taking that club out of the bag. I'm not hitting that. It's like, all right, I guess seven iron again it is. She should talk to Akbar about switching to a half set. There you go. Lighten the right? load. All right. A few, few, fewer clubs. I like it. Um, are we considering hosting a tournament next year? What do you think EP? I've got a full list of ideas for season two and right at the top of it is having some sort of tournament. I think we got a tweet from someone early on that said that we should do some sort of tournament. And I thought it was a great idea at the time. Unfortunately, that kind of stuff just takes a little bit more planning than we probably gave it credit for. So 
My answer to that is yes, we definitely should. And I will work in partnership with you to make sure that that happens. Amen. We'll reach out to Travis. I think that guy's pretty good at putting on golf tournaments. We'll see if we can get the, the Grip City Golf Invitational via Northwest Golf Guys next summer. What will the format be? Oh, that's a good question. Anything other than an alternate shot. Yeah, alternate <laughs> two-man alternate shot. I'm cool with anything other than that. Anything other than that. Maybe, maybe if we did two-man alternate shot and you and I play together, maybe that would be the end of our podcast because that'd be the end of our relationship because we just couldn't make it through. It's just too hard. <laughs> it's too much strain on the, the friendship. And we end up just saying, you know what? I don't want to play golf with you anymore. Let's, we're not doing any more podcasts. Nope, this not going near shot it. Thing, it's over. <laughs> Nice to know you. This is the end of the relationship as we know it. I'm never doing you put me behind four different trees today, Eric, four different trees. I can't alternate shot shot is so hard. (laughs) It definitely won't be that. I was thinking scramble just because I think those are the most fun. Scrambles are fun. I think it depends on how many players you get to come out to and how many teams and all that. But yeah, I'm with you. That listener brought it. I'm hundred percent. We're doing a golf tournament next year. We'll figure it out. Season one for us was like, let's just survive this and see if it works. And if we actually want to do a podcast and, We've had fun. So now season two, we can go on to some bigger and you know more enjoyable things next year. Love it. Uh, last one here. RJ wants us to talk about favorite coastal golf courses that are not named Bandon Dunes. Now, I don't have a lot of these experiences. Uh, I talked about Manzanita earlier in the show. A little nine-hole <laughs> track out there. Fun course in Manzanita. I think I played Gearheart. And other than that, that's about it, buddy. What about you? Well, uh, there aren't a lot of coastal golf courses in Oregon besides Bandon, right? I mean, even... Even Manzanita and Gearhart, you might be able to see the ocean from a hole or two, but you're not like on the ocean like you are at, say, Bannon Dunes. But in terms of just other courses that are on the coast, I mean, Florence Golf Links, which used to be Sand Pines, that I think is really fun. I actually played in an OGA tournament there as a kid and had a lot of fun. I think Salishan's really cool. Did you say you've played Salishan? I have not played Salishan. Okay, no, just I think, near, yeah. near Lincoln City, just south of town. That's, that's a great golf course. You got to hit it pretty straight. It's not very long. Um, and there's some ocean views on that course, like where like legit, you can see the ocean from a tee box. I think that's, that's up there. I think you mentioned Gearhart, what they've done when Tim Boyle bought it and then McMinimans took over the operations of it and built a new hotel. And they've got an awesome putting green with a bar area, like not just like a cart they roll up, but like a, a structure there that is a walk-up bar with little bonfires and stuff. And it's kind of this amphitheater kind of environment packed between dunes. Listeners that I'm sure there's a lot of people who have been there know what I'm talking about. It's such a cool place to go just hang out. I mean, obviously on the Oregon coast, you can get some cold weather, some misty rain, and maybe it's not a place you just want to be hanging around, standing still outside. But if you can catch a sunny afternoon, it's a little warm. I think that's just a, a great place to be. And, and what they've done to change Gearheart, they put in a bunch of money to upgrade it. I know Northwest golf guys, they, they really like that golf course. I think that Gearheart would probably be my pick. Yeah. Gearheart's tough to top out there. I haven't played a ton, but Gearheart's probably my number one, at least from the ones that I have played. And it's tough too, for all those courses, because whenever you're playing Oregon coast golf, you it's hard to not think abandoned dunes, but it's also yeah. nice to have, you know, sometimes when you go on a trip where if you're going to Bandon, you're on a golf trip. You know, you're not going to Bandon Dunes to hang out in, in downtown Bandon. You're going down there to play world-class golf. But some of these other places, they're kind of perfect for the, and this is what it was for me. Hey, we're in Manzanita this weekend. Let's take the clubs. I don't know yeah. if we'll have time to play, but 
maybe we will. And all right, let's go check out Manzanita Golf Links and go play nine holes. And they got a cool logo. I wanted to buy a visor, but I held back. I didn't do it. And <laughs> like somebody like, hey, we're in Gearheart for the weekend. You know, bring the sticks. Maybe we'll get 18. And, and, and they're perfect for those kind of vacations when you're with the family. And let's go, hey, we're here for a week. We'll take a day. We'll go play 18 holes. Well, and that can also be a benefit. I mean, I totally agree with that, that it kind of is a ancillary piece to a, tr- a trip, maybe with family or something. But that makes it much more approachable. Like if you happen to be driving through the town of Bandon on your way down to California or something, you're probably not going to peel over to Bandon and fork over 275 bucks to play <laughs> Bandon Dunes with your right. wife, right? Whereas if you're just passing through Manzanita, say, and you've got some extra time, you might pop in there and play a quick nine holes and it becomes very approachable in that regard. So I think that that gives it a little bit more credence that that it's a, it's a great place to think about, um, out on the Oregon coast. The other one that we haven't mentioned that we have to is Astoria country club, For which sure. is, which is really good. And the thing that, that I think is, I'm always reminded of when I'm there, whether it's Gearhart, Salishan, what, whatever it is, is that those places are only, they're less than two hours from downtown Portland. And so from a proximity standpoint, it's easier to fit those in. You could, play golf on the last day before you drive home. You could play the day you arrive because you got in a little earlier than you thought. It just makes, again, that, that feeling of approachability, I think, all the more because they're, they're really close to Portland. And so if you happen to be there, I think that any of the ones that we've mentioned, they're all fun for different reasons. And they're all pretty modestly priced, to be honest with you. Like, I mean, they're not crazy, stupid, expensive. So yeah. I think, yeah, playing, sometimes we don't give them enough credit because they kind of get just passed over, but there's a lot of good options on the Oregon coast. Well, going back to our day trips of golf in the area, the, all those courses, as we pointed out within a day's drive, you can make it happen, drive out in the morning, play 18 holes and drive back, you know, long Saturday, but you can do it. It's not much different than going out to Elk Ridge. Like I did a couple of weeks ago. So it's a pretty similar drive. A lot of great options. In that that's, that's another thing that we got to do next season is commit to that idea we had of exploring the day trips that you might not think of. I think, I think our first one should be Chambers Bay. People are thinking that's not a day trip. I'm telling you, we went to the U S open at Chambers Bay as uh, for a day trip. And that's different than playing golf. But in terms of how much time that's, that took, it was the same, if not more time, I think we were gone for 12 hours, but it's, so it's a long day. Don't get me wrong, but I, you can still do it in one day. Cause that's, that's like one of the things we've talked about in the past that prevents you from making a golf trip is you got to figure out where you're going to stay. And do do I have a hall pass to stay a night? But if you can do it in one day where you wake up in your bed and go to bed in your bed, that makes it a lot easier to finagle and do it. So Chambers Day next year. Good way to come full circle from where we started, right? It's hard to get out because of the family reasonings. And here you are one day trip. You're back. Boom. I'm there in the morning. I'm there at night. You're going to see me today. You're going to see me tomorrow. So it's a good way to get golf trips in. And I love it. That's a good way to end it. Chris and Jack, Duke Minier were awesome. Thanks again to them for, for hopping on. Best of luck to those guys going forward. What, what a cool story for two brothers to get to share that experience of not only playing in the same tournament, but one caddying for the other one. It's just awesome. Really cool story. And, buddy, we, I mean, we're looking down the, uh, we're, we've got like two minutes left in the fourth quarter, man. We're almost done for the season. It's well, almost speak, the end of golf year. Speaking of that analogy of two minutes left in the fourth quarter, my juices are starting to get flowing for, for football. I don't know about you. Oh, they're there. Oh, yeah. It's almost time.
It's almost, there's preseason games on. I mean, we're, uh, it's, the, you know, a couple of weeks away. We're going to get those early college football games. I'm going to Atlanta too. You're going to be in Atlanta. Good. We might have to sneak out in Atlanta and go play some golf. What do you think? Huh? Friday you know, morning. We're, so we're missing the FedEx cup final at East Lake is the week prior. Oh, and Joey Harrington's first start with Atlanta is the following weekend. So like right in the middle is that duck game. It's just sandwiched in between. It would have been perfect. We need to move it back a week or move it ahead a week, one or the other. If we were young and free, we'd just make it a two-week boondoggle <laughs> and go to the go to the FedEx Cup finals at East Lake, kick now around, play some golf, go to the duck game, stay around, watch Joey Harrington in Atlanta. But no, hey, we're talking. Those days are gone. But that's all right. <laughs> we can still dream. That's all right. We can dream. And uh, we got a couple of episodes left, some fun things to provide for you. The golf season is winding down. My advice to everybody, enjoy it. It's going to be gone before you know it. And it's going to be dark at four o'clock and it's going to be raining. So enjoy these last couple of weeks. I know it's supposed to be hot next week. Get out, play some golf whenever you can, because it's going to be gone before we know it. There's a, and there's a lot of runway in front of us, right? Like we don't want to talk as if next week is the last time to play golf. There's lots of golf still out there. So hopefully people will get out and play more. Yeah, absolutely. I know I'm the kind of guy that once football season starts, my weekends are shut down. So I got, I'm counting, I'm counting my weekends that I got left before football season begins. Thanks so much, everybody, though, for tuning in to episode 13 of the Grip City Golf Podcast. 13. We'll do it again soon. All right, buddy. All right, man. Sounds good. There you go. Until next time, go low, everybody. I hit it hard, man. Hard.